welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm Dave, and I am here again with Linda Haviv, and we are talking to Jay Clifford, who's a developer advocate at Influx Data. Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's really great being here. I must admit, I've actually been keeping up on your show now, and I think one of my favorite episodes so far was Brian and the, the dolphin, where he uh, got accidentally oh. injected with dolphin blood. I love it that you've listened to me ramble on for many, many episodes. And I promise Linda will make this episode way more interesting than the usual affair. But no. yes, Brian, I, like part of why I've been podcasting for so long is just people are amazing, like the adventures and the stories. The guy's literally in Hawaii working with dolphins and doing research. And I feel like tech is like that a little bit. It's not as homogenous. Like you get people from all different, different backgrounds, you know? So thank you for that, that uh, you gave me my dopamine hit for today. I'm feeling- No worries. So you work at Influx Data and we had a little conversation about just your background and time series databases. And we'll see how long this goes. You know, we can always break this into a a two-parter, but I've been learning as we've been talking. And so I want to hear the beginnings of how you, you know, became a software engineer. Let's start, let's start at the beginning. You want the superhero origin stories? Is this what we're going Ooh, for? Yeah. Was, was it a radioactive spider? Or was it a pool of acid? You know what? I really wish it was. I feel like I'm going to have the most boring origin story going, but I'm, I'm ready to tell the story and lay it out there. So I guess my first introduction ever to a computer was uh, my dad's computer when we first got AOL and dial up. And I was really excited just to get onto the internet for the first time. And then mum would get on a call and that would kick me off the internet. And I'd be like screaming downstairs, get off the phone. Um, <laughs> and, the, and yeah, so you kind of went, okay. Then the, the juice of computers started rolling in and you could start playing games on computers. And this is where I became really invested. I was really invested in games like Warcraft 3, big strategy games and stuff like that. And 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 that was the life goal. I was like... I'm going to become a game designer. There was an application in Warcraft 3 where you could build like your own applications and stuff okay, like Okay, so that. we just need to nerd out a little bit. Yeah, go on. I, I know. Warcraft, I'm like, Dave. <laughs> yes. I, Jay, you think this, you'll think this will be super cool. I sent Linda a recruit a friend in World of Warcraft and she's excited to play. Yes. Are you serious? Are you going to yes. play Yes. So it's got to be Alliance because I'm a my main's a Worgen on Alliance, but she doesn't even know all the races, and I'm so excited for her to see. And I already told her I'm like, you're gonna spend an hour just like making your tune look like you because Blizzard <laughs> has done all these amazing things now, right? I was gonna, a long if way. You, if you had oh. to pick a class, what class would it be? Like oh, she's totally gonna do Hunter. I'll just be a tank or something. I think the Hunter <laughs> would be perfect. <laughs> Because I then there's that. no problems. She's going to, the minute that she sees like hunters can have pets and all the other cool. Oh yeah, and that's it. That's it, I'm sold. Yeah. That's it, that's it. Yeah. You would you would have loved walk, like World of Warcraft vanilla where you actually had to like look after and maintain your pet because it used to be the case that your pet would actually leave you if yeah. you didn't feed it and look oh after gosh. it. It'd be like, sorry, none of this. Yeah, and you get, it was a little bone. It looked like a doggy biscuit and you would feed it. Yeah, I played... So this is, and I'll have to post it at some point. This is every World of Warcraft collector's edition over the past 18 years. This is Ragnaros right here from the, oh. see, I, I put him closer on, uh, on camera. Yeah. So That's anyway, yeah, just an amazing time. Oh, and by the way, you'll love this, Jay, since you've been listening to 
episodes. So Jackie, who probably everyone knows as uh, DevOps Jackie, is an amazing developer advocate and does a you know Twitch show with Darko. She used to be a raid leader in World of Warcraft. And we're going to do an episode on world. everything I learned about DevOps I learned in World of Warcraft. And it's going to be setting up a raid and like all the different de- I shouldn't I never like want to preview things but I'm just kind of excited and that's that all Jackie so exciting. she's already like thought of some of these things yeah Jackie. so yeah. I will be your Rock first it. listener I will be there ready for it that's <laughs> the dream yeah and the thing they made by the way that's what became Doa's like Leeds, League of Legends all this stuff exists because Blizzard made tools that allowed you to create your own maps and this is where defense uh games and all that came from so anyway go ahead so Warcraft Exactly. So that was me. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> massive, massive tangent, but we love it. Oh, so yeah. that was it. So I was building maps and I was like, okay, so this is what a game designer is. This is what I'm going to do. So I sunk all my time at high school into IT. And then a guidance teacher, as stern as she was and as lovely as she was, says, um, that's really not the journey for you. <laughs> I think you should just go and do computer science. And I was gutted, I think almost ready to be in oh, tears. But yeah. You know, I know, right? But you, you have to thank her now because we're, we're here where we are. Dan, I just want to say one quick thing for, to you, Jay. And yeah, maybe this will be a, a, of, uh, it'll give you closure. As someone <laughs> who did and worked directly in indie game dev, like I worked on Xbox team for six months and I worked with game indie game devs directly when we launched Kindle for TV. Just because you like candy doesn't mean you're going to like working in the candy factory. Oh, yeah, I did not like, I love playing games, but I freaking hated making them. It's so much math. Like there's still a course out there. I wrote, I think it's on LinkedIn learning. Uh, and I wrote a game loop in JavaScript and it's balloons. <laughs> like you're, it's a touch game on windows and you're touching in balloons. So much math. And unity does a lot of that to make it easier, but yeah, you may I not know, have liked- about food. I like, yeah. to, I like to eat. I don't like to cook. I don't know. No, <laughs> I don't. I hear you there. It takes so much time. Who's got time I for just, that? I, I love it when it's for someone, but like it disappears after five seconds. And and it's the same thing with tech too. Certain things you you love at a certain point to do and to be the other end of it. Like yeah. I feel like AI is really cool, but I think in some ways, like I, I come from more like software engineering background and, and, and DevOps and and I don't have as much experience in AI and like I'm like oh my gosh like I want to learn all this and then I'm like statistics and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of data. It's a lot. Of- I learned that in uh, Vision AI as well. I was like, oh my days, I really want to be part of this use case. And in the end, I was like, I'm literally just tagging images all day. What am I doing? Like I was yeah. like, this is relentless. It's and- uh, Rick and Morty passing the butter. What is my purpose? You yes. pass the butter. And look, they're new right here. Boom. Oh, I see them. Yes. Dave, you're going to really need to show everybody your setup. Yeah. Like- yeah. I'll, I'll post it maybe to, to Twitter. So uh, <laughs> what is out of all of this, Jay, what's your favorite programming language right now? So I, I have to say uh, Python has been a stickler for me for ages. Like I've always been there. Like it's the community. So, you know, I, I think rice, probably the wrong word, but it's just, there's so many people yeah. involved from so many different demographics, so many different industries. There's, it's just an incredible ecosystem and community. And, you know, I think it's so funny. We ch- we chat about the, you know, that new chat AI bot that came out, yep. the incredible piece of uh, software. And you can just ask it to write Python code for you now. Oh, I yeah, chat GPT. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Chat GPT. Like, yeah. and, and it's addicted. incredible. <laughs> really yeah, great. Um, we made a video and- about her and her AI and she sings. Oh, I, I made a song about it. I'll put her TikTok in I call in it this. an assistant because I look at, at ChatGPT as an assistant, because I feel like everyone's like, oh, they're going to take our jobs. I mean, will jobs disappear? I mean, this is, yeah. of course, an opinion. I'm prefacing opinion. But 
I think like for me, I look at it as an assistant. Of course, it's your due diligence to like check what you're saying. And that's yeah. why like, I think it just helps us with research and helps us with certain things and tedious tasks. It's incredible. Exactly. Like I'm actually trying to build a Mario math match game for my son today. And I'm oh, totally, Lena's getting excited. Totally She's going closer to, to the mic. She's going closer to the mic. Oh my gosh, sorry. I got to normalize the channel. This. <laughs> Let me clap for you. No, that's 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 perfect. I and I agree 100%. Naval actually said something that really stuck with me. I like the way he said it. He said that ChatGPT is the calculator for the creative mind. And wow. just like calculator was to math. So you could do all that on your own as a human being, but that's actually a tool you can use to like exponentially save time and grow your own ideas. And that's how I use it, you know. So we could innovate faster. Yes, we can. We can. So Favorite programming language we talked about. You decided that gaming wasn't for you. You did computer science. Then where did you move into? Well, it, and so I guess this is where my story kind of gets interesting because I, I instead actually joined an, indu an industrial hardware firm called AD Link. Oh. And they kind of built a branch specializing in like IoT industrial solutions. So I joined their solution architect, sort of a sales engineer department. And a lot of my job was actually going on site working out how we can connect to different machines, you know, looking at protocols such as OPC UA, Modbus, Ethernet. Some of these protocols I didn't even realize existed until I got onto site. And yeah. you kind of fake it till you make it. You're like, yeah, yeah, we'll connect to that. We know what's, what they I did is. not get that from the name. I thought you were just creating ad links. Ah, see, this is this is quite an American thing, like like AD Link, like all Americans say Ad Link, and you should yeah. see like the um, our CEO would. You could always see like a little squint in his eye when it was Ad Link. You like, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> As I was told many many times, uh, traveling in Europe, is that the Queen's English is the right English. So I just speak this weird form of English, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, uh, you know, if you don't have manners, you don't have anything. So I was told it very politely in a proper English way. But I started to say, should I actually use Z's in my words? Because S is, is looking a lot better, I'll tell you. To, to be fair, if since I'm a dyslexic, I would much rather spell in American because it's so much more phonetic and like it's easier in general than trying to spell. We're just lazy. English, yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn, we swallow our vowels. So. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, we have accents, but there's accents all across the UK as well. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I mean, you should come to Newcastle and find out that the accent there is vastly different from all over the rest of the UK. So definitely not the Queen's English. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I started to pick up on it based on the areas that I was like, I was I was there enough. And I love I love, you know, it's uh, we can go on this whole tangent around language because accents and language is actually like we were an oratory species long. I mean, the Gutenberg revolution, you're talking maybe hundred, 200 years of the printed word, but language and how you hear it is the history of people. And that's why you could go to places in Europe where you go like one kilometer and it's a different that because that was a different people, you know, and you, and it's just, it's just fascinating. So you work down this cool, like IOT stuff, and then you move to influx DB. Yeah. So I guess the, I guess the common denominator between every project that I worked on when I was on the industrial floor, whether it be connecting to machines or vision at AI based projects, they all involve timestamp data. And, uh, and, you know, we tried so many different methods for storing timestamp data, you know, SQL databases, uh, no SQL databases. But in the end, we actually landed on InfluxDB, which is an open source time series database. Got and it. 
And I, it was the, I always said it anytime I went back to the office, I said, you know what, the one thing that will stand up and be reliable in that entire factory solution that we just created will be InfluxDB. I can rely on that never collapsing. And that's sort of like where my love for InfluxDB started. I started getting more ingrained into the community, joined all of the uh, like Slack discourse, joined Influx days, got to meet some amazing Influxers. And then, yeah, joined uh, Influx Data, and and this is where we are. Uh, my hero origin story complete. So. <laughs> I must say, this story took a lot of different awesome. Ter- you were saying it's not interesting. Uh, I think it's awesome. There was World of Warcraft. There was this whole. I, I think I think very relatable points about even like doing something you love, and and then realizing you love do you love the product, but maybe not building that and finding finding your place and. In tech, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been with uh, InfluxDB and, and a bit of that too? Yeah, so I'm just coming up to my two-year anniversary soon. And I, I remember vividly sort of the crossover because I sort of came from a sales-orientated role and came into uh, developer advocacy. Um, and now my manager, Rick Spencer, the first hardline question he asked me in my interview was, he says, can you switch off the sales mode and actually put yourself into a developer's shoes and, you know, not like try and sell at them? And I was like, oh, that's a really solid question because this, this whole new realm of developer advocacy was, was, uh, was new to me. And I was like, of course I can because I feel like there's so much, for me, developer advocacy was y- you, could, you could deliver a solution and help developers without a price tag. You, you could share knowledge and interest and help people along their journeys without needing uh, a payment or return for it. You're, you're cultivating community, which is what I've always wanted to do in my last job, but was always hidden behind a pay gap. And I just think that's kind of what Influx Data has allowed me to do and flourish, where I, I can still do IoT projects, work in time series, work delivering, doing these great sort of uh, podcasts with you guys. But yeah, and and sort of share the love without needing it to feel like it's a, a, an economic process. I, I definitely relate to that a lot because I started my developer advocacy journey six months ago. I wasn't a developer advocate prior. I didn't come from sales. So I'm sure even for that, that's much harder to get rid of certain like habits, I guess, too. Like you're kind of ingrained in this like price tag or, or deliverables. And yeah, it's so fulfilling because you really get to advocate on behalf of developers. I know that sounds cliche, but it, it, it is it is probably like the best part. We get to really be in their shoes. And I love how you put that. I think that's the, I'm totally going to copy you on the definition in the future. Can you explain to us a bit about um, what is time series data for people who, I know that's a bit loaded, but. No, no, honestly, this is this is such a good question because it's always the one that like, I feel it's the the top exam question to ask. And and so if you take it at its most clinical scientific level, uh, it's essentially data points with a timestamp associated with them. And if you kind of abstract a little bit away from that, you know, when we think of conventional ways of looking at data, we might be interested in a, a point to point or like, you know, we'll be interested in this row of data and then the next one. Whereas with time series data, you kind of abstract yourself away a little bit and you take a more holistic look at, at trends in the data, where data is going, what's it looking like, what can we forecast from that data. And I just think that's kind of in the realms of, you know, where a lot of IoT data, a lot of application monitoring data, and a lot of server monitoring data all comes from. Because if you just look at, so I guess let's take a IoT example. If we look at a temperature sensor and we looked at the temperature 
in real time here and now without a timestamp. And we said, okay, it's 20 degrees. And it's like, great. Like, so we know it's 20 degrees at this very moment, but do we know if that's decreasing, increasing, you know, yeah. where, when do we need to turn on the heating? What are we doing? And having that abstract layer of saying, okay, well, we know approximately the heat's been going down for the last four hours, then, you know, maybe it's time to actually turn on the heating. You know, it's, it's that holistic, like, look on it. Speaking of, so this might sound, because I, I'm, I'm, I don't have as much knowledge on, on this. What, is it the way you're also kind of, you're indexing it based on time, but if let's say a data set is indexed by something else and it has a time attribute, can it be a time series data or is that not the case? It needs to be optimized in some other way. I was thinking the same thing, Lynn. That's a great, because I'm like, I have to create an index on a database or if I'm looking at my primary key, I'm always putting a timestamp in there somewhere because that's like the most unique thing unless you have some kind of, you know, quid or something that's actually enumerating every time you put a new record in. This is a, this is a great question. And it's a, I was actually chatting to one of my colleagues, Emily, about this, because it's one of those things that's sort of like, we, we talk, I think we'll yeah. talk about like schema design and everything else later. Yeah. But you, you always go, hmm, like how, how, what's a good schema in a time series database? And it's like, I, I've never had to really think about this in any great detail because something like InfluxDB does this for you and you don't need any training wheels. But to your point, yes. So when you think about a time series data, you're, you're, your primary key should be your timestamp always. You always care about the timestamp first and foremost with the data associated to that timestamp. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have secondary keys that allow you to differentiate your data points. You know, these could be based on, say, location, you know, unique identifiers for devices. These all help query against the data. But at the end of the day, you are looking for trends within your timestamped data. Otherwise, you're more just like referencing, say, okay, well, I just want to know that machine and that time at that point. But it's the the time is always your, you're always going back yeah. to that first key. So as, as far as use cases for that, so can you give examples of when you would use inherently like time series data? Because I'm assuming it's it's right. It's it's the primary key, but also the way you're using it, right? And and the way it's presenting that data. Like Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. So to, to that point, yeah. So... I mean, when we when we talk about querying time series data, you know, there's there's a lot more functionality that we look at. We could be looking at aggregation within our time series data. So we could be looking at saying, well, what's the maximum value within this specific window of time? Uh, we could be averaging uh, within that specific window of time. We could be also looking at deciding, we could be looking at selectors as well. We could also be looking at forecasting directly and built into our querying as well. And it's essentially taking a, a series of points within that time period and providing that result, which could be used for visualization or further calculation. The, 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 the concept for me there is we, we're not, we, when we query, we're not just querying for a specific data point, as we said, we're querying for a series of data points within that time. And we want to have some form of aggregation or calculation on that data. Got it. So you all, everything you offer is open source, like as as part of that community is what InfluxDB is. So it, it, it's this open source time series database, right? And you're doing time series workloads. So I got all of that. Yeah, yeah. So it's co absolutely correct. So essentially okay. uh, InfluxDB originated as an uh, open source time series database. 
And then, you know, to keep the lights on, we evolved to have InfluxDB Enterprise, which people can use. Got it, got it. InfluxDB Cloud, which we have as our SaaS solution, which actually runs on AWS, which is really cool. As someone, like, like if we think of like a relational database, like a standard database, how is this all like different than how devs would do it? Is there, uh, you know, is there something to do with performance? Is it a different way of thinking about the structure of data? How does this all compare? So absolutely. And this is kind of where the category of time series database come from. So maybe we could like consider the fundamentals of a database, uh, ingest, storage and querying in their most basic form. So I thought it was all just crud. (laughs) I learned an acronym for nothing, Jay. Come on. (laughs) I thought it was all crud. Love it. Um, And that for people who don't know is create, read, update, delete. It's the only thing I, I remember from my early database days. Look at you, Dave. That's I know so some good. things. I know some That's things. things I, like early on. <laughs> I also know ACID, atomic. Uh, you know, ACID, it, it has to happen autonomously and complete, and, or you roll back a transaction. I used to be like a, D, a DBA before they called them DBAs. Back in my day, when I rode horses to work, and we <laughs> we were... We finally declared independence in this country. Uh, I learned, you know, how to do this kind of stuff because there wasn't any roles yet when I was a boy. All right. So go ahead. Continue, sir. Ingest storage query. I love this. I like, honestly, this, this, uh, the the podcast has so many acronyms. I feel like you guys should have like a map of acronyms that have been collected over the series of the podcast. That would be be great. Um, We'll have Linda, we'll have Linda create a song with all the different acronyms. You got it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, teach teach It'll the go viral. Song. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Um, but yeah, so we, we, so if let's start off with ingest. So when we think of ingest fundamentally for time series data, we could be talking thousands, if not hundred thousands, of points a second from lots of different types of data sources. Uh, if you're you uh, when you come to a relational database, you you could ingest a lot of data into a relational database, but without any type of fine tuning, trying to ingest this many data points per second, you're going to run into trouble pretty quick. I've I've seen entire SQL Postgres databases, especially Microsoft uh, under SCADA systems, which is an in, used within industrial solutions, fully collapse under the pressure that people want to push data into. And they're kind of looking at it going like, hey, well, it's a database. Surely it can take it. And I'm like, ah, like not to this extent. And I just feel expanding on that sort of, um, this is where time series databases really come into their own. They're looking at highly granular data that could be coming in, you know, seconds, if not nanoseconds worth of data as well. And that's another one to look at as well as granularity is, we're at, with, especially with InfluxDB, we're down to the nanoseconds with a lot of customers. So, you know, the, the granularity, imagine, imagine having a primary key where your granularity is in the nanoseconds and you're indexing by that. That's, that's um, an insane amount of processing in terms of to query between those data points and define that, the data within those regions. So if you said, say we're taking in, I don't know, 100,000 samples a second, and then we want to query the last two hours worth of data. That's a, that's a lot of data that we need to look at. No, but it makes sense because you kind of need, you really need that NoSQL type data, you know, data set over like, I think it's a really good point well, I, of how, because I think on, on this note, 
I'll let you, I, I don't want to pause you because I know you also are going to probably define storage and query, but I'm so curious after this about like projects that use cases that this would be a part of, but I'll get that to that in a, in a second. I'm just like, this is so interesting. Okay, continue. Yeah, yeah. continue. Wait, this, is, this, is why, this is why I work for Influx Data. This is how excited I get over it every I'm day. Like, as I, well. I know oh, you're like defining it. Just I'm like, wait, Joey. Let's this? talk. Let's talk. Let's go out Friday night and talk about queries. Yes. <laughs> hey, that's a good night. I should deal with that. Yeah, we'll get some EDM going. I'll be like, hey, can we talk about join? <laughs> like, um, yeah. So, so a second to that, I guess, is storage, and this is really interesting. You you talk about NoSQL there because I would say if I had to pick a, a database other than a dedicated time series, I'd be like, oh, okay, what well, about NoSQL because it's really good at large amounts of ingest. Now, the problem with NoSQL and where it falls short is actually storage on disk. You have to think about all these series that we have to store on disk. It has to be compacted, efficient, and also extremely retrievable. And this is where dedicated time series databases really come into play because the methods that we use to store data on disk keeps us very compact and efficient for retrieval. Whereas in a lot of NoSQL use cases, uh, you can blow up a disk quite quickly, you know, in terms of not talking your gigabytes to terabytes of data, depending on the granularity of the data that you're bringing in. So the actual storage of the time series data is also hyper important. And, and that's something we've been focusing on at InfluxDB as well, is really going back to our roots on how we store data on disk and how we work with time series data on disk as well. And then I guess just to sum it all off is querying. So I feel querying as we sort of kind of run through it so many times is if you talk, if you take a conventional relational SQL query, we might just go, I would select me uh, Bob from the user and from company and maybe do a join or something like that. And that's that's where we're looking to take a specific row back of data. Whereas for us, let's consider a more time series um, based query. We might say, hey, okay, give me the data between these two ranges. I want you to aggregate that data and calculate the mean on that data between that time. And I want you to return every single point for the, you know, so let's say we do an, a year's worth of data, we aggregate by five minutes. So that's the mean every five minutes. And I want all of those data points back uh, to me within those five minute intervals. So these are the types of queries that are a lot more difficult to process within yeah. standard and conventional databases compared to a time series database. And you're looking for trends in a way, right? Like you're, you're really looking for the trend. That's, that's so cool. So any cool projects that use InfluxDB? that you want to share? Because I'm, I'm so curious at, as how how we use it, like, I guess, to solve problems, like, it, it, specifically. It's so I actually have one that's one of my favorites, and it's an IoT company. And it really shows, it really shows a company transforming from being just, say, a hardware provider or a, like to a proper um, data as a service provider and how they can use that data to uh, better complement or bring better products to their customers. And so the company is called Bbox. And so they are a solar panel provider. And, and so they had, they delivered about 85,000 solar panels into the wild. And before they came to us, they had a problem. They, they basically, they had a bunch of these panels out there and they had batteries. And what they were finding out was these batteries were running dry and they, and they couldn't work out why, you know, they, they kind of estimated how much storage they would get based on the sunlight and how much electricity. And, you know, it, they were, they were in remote regions as well. So they were not the most easy ones to get to, you know, in, in Africa, in most cases, 
But so what they started to do was collect the timestamp data. So they started monitoring battery usage, the amount of sun that was being collected in a day, all of these different sensor parameters. And what they soon realized was that the lights that these devices were powering, users were actually keeping these devices on overnight and that this was what was draining the battery. And they were like, I know, right? They're like, huh, like, okay, this is this is the, the issue that we're experiencing. We didn't account for this. So why don't we go talk to residents and find out exactly why these lights are still being on? And so when they went out to talk to these people, it turns out they were leaving it on for security. So they actually felt more safe having their lights on at night and oh, sleeping. Wow. That's right? so interesting. I actually do that also. That's that's really <laughs> I turn I used to when I was living in a house versus an apartment. I used to keep the lights on when I was that's so funny. That's and and, and so really that allowed uh that data really was you were able to tell that that's why they were kind of that was the issue of why they were keeping it up. So what did they do to solve it? Like how did they what was the approach post that with that data? This is and this is the cool thing. So they actually so they, they installed uh, bigger batteries to deal with the the initial issues. So that that's band-aid up the issue that they were experiencing when there wasn't enough power. But after that, they actually uh, created a whole new portfolio, a whole new product line designed around security. So like security lighting and how they wow. can work with them. And it just shows how data drove better business for them, especially time yeah. series data in this case. And fun fact, B-Box was all built on AWS just to really uh, add that nice. in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super, I just super. keep thinking of Beatbox. <laughs> I like the name. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that's such a cool story. We're out of time. So I think what we'll do is we'll do a two-parter. We will end this one right here, and then we'll kick off the next episode. So for folks who maybe want to follow up now in this episode, where can they find you online? Where can they find InfluxDB stuff online? And I'll add that to the show notes. Absolutely. So come join us on our Slack. That's where I hang out every day. Drop me a message in there. If not, come join our discourse forums as well. If you're excited to get started with InfluxDB but don't want to talk to me, highly recommend checking out InfluxDB University as well and seeing all our great course guys in there delivering great course content on time series data as well. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, sir. This was great. And I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. want me to make sure to mention in the intro i just want you to sing the intro no, I'm, I'm kidding <laughs> you could just say hey it's you know it's linda i'm here with dave data, data i mean we were listening to umbrella so there we go yes we were <laughs> i'm gonna what would it be what would it match it would be the time series data ella ella yeah. <laughs> time series data open source yeah data. <laughs> All the Weird Al Yankovic I listened to <laughs> as a kid has enabled me to swap lyrics out. All right. So we're going to uh, write a song. <laughs>